0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 31, Turkey Calling 101 with Chris Parrish. Before we get into the interview with Chris, I've got my sad face on today. Tomorrow is the final day of Alabama's turkey season for 2015. Now, I've got a trip coming up in seven days, though. I'm headed to Ohio and Indiana for my annual out-of-state trip in hopes of killing a bird in each state there. And if we're lucky enough, my buddies and I are going to go to Michigan as our third state if we can tag out in Ohio and Indiana in seven days. So we will see how the hunt goes and hopefully they're acting right. Hopefully we'll have some good weather and hopefully we'll have some success. So next week when you tune into the show you'll get to hear the countdown for next season in Alabama. Yes, I'm already looking forward to the 2016 season. I've had a great year this year. The season started out extremely strong but has tapered off here towards the end of the season. Sunday, I actually had the best gobbling day that I've had in three weeks, and the turkeys gobbled very well. I had a bird pitch down out of the tree into the opening that I was sitting on the edge of, but he pitched down about 75 yards from me, and he was not going to come any closer he drummed and he gobbled and he strutted out there in the opening for twenty minutes or so and then he eased off away from me and i crawled forward a little bit and i called and he came back some but he still wouldn't come within range he had a great field of view from where he was, and he knew there was no hen there, and he was not coming in. So, it was a great hunt, though. I gotta tell you, just being able to hear that turkey gobble that much, and hearing him spitting and drumming was very exciting. That drumming sound just absolutely amazes me. I don't know what it is. I love it. It absolutely amazes me. So, anytime I can go and I hear that sound, it's been a successful hunt whether the trigger gets squeezed or not. I've got a couple of housekeeping things here. I feel like I say this every single episode to you guys, and I hope it doesn't get old, but be careful out there. With season being in full swing for the majority of the country, there are a lot of accidents that are going on right now. I got an email regarding a man in Mississippi being shot while hunting in Union County, and... The story says a Bihelia man is recovering in a Memphis hospital after being shot while turkey hunting in Union County. It happened around 1030 a.m. Thursday in the Blythe community near County Road 10. Union County Sheriff Jimmy Edwards said Ricky Long of Olive Branch and Jeffrey Johnson of Byhalia were turkey hunting when Long accidentally shot Johnson with a shotgun. Investigators said shotgun pellets hit Johnson in one of his legs, collarbone, and left arm and near his left eye. He was transported to the North Mississippi Medical Center in Tupelo, but was later taken to the Regional Medical Center in Memphis for surgery, according to Edwards. He is currently listed in serious condition, but the Union County Sheriff's Office and the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks investigated the accident. Guys, there is no turkey worth shooting someone over, whether it's your hunting buddy or a complete stranger even a poacher who happens to be on your property illegally and you accidentally shoot him thinking that he's a turkey or shoot her thinking she's a turkey be careful identify your target before you squeeze the trigger and you guys just be safe out there okay so i want to read a review on itunes real quick Longtime podcaster says getting the gobble on five stars spring turkey season opens in just a few weeks and there is no better place to get your gobble on than the turkey hunter podcast i believe i saved myself years of trial and error in a matter of a couple of hours of listening recommended for the novice or the expert turkey hunter long time podcaster thank you very much for the review i greatly appreciate the kind words okay we're going to get right on into this week's episode this week's episode is turkey calling 101 with chris parrish Now, Chris is going to run through the different turkey calls that we hear in the woods, in the spring woods primarily, and he's actually going to demonstrate those calls for us. He's going to tell us what those calls mean and when we should use them in our calling setups. And I told you last week that the show is entitled Turkey Calling 101, but there are some 300 level calling tips in this show. And you guys, I think, are really going to enjoy the show and get a lot out of it. I learned a good bit by doing the interview, and without further ado, we're going to jump right on into it. And I look forward to seeing you guys on the other side. Hello, and welcome back to the Turkey Hunter Podcast. This week, I'm very excited to have a special guest on the line with me. I have Chris Parrish, who is a multi-world champion turkey caller and Grand National Turkey caller champion. He's also the assistant brand manager for Night and Hell Game Calls, and I've gotten Chris on the line today to talk to us about Turkey Calling 101. Chris, how are you today, and where are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic. I'm actually sitting in front of my computer at my desk working. I've been working all day long, so uh, that's a, if you want to catch me, other than being in the turkey woods this time of year, it's going to be in front of this computer, either doing business cases or trying to work on new product development or something, something of that nature.
0: Good deal. Well, the turkey season comes in for you sometime soon in Missouri, doesn't
2: it?
1: Yes, it does. We actually start next Monday on the 20th of April and my 18th year anniversary being married to my beautiful wife will be on the 19th of April. So, And we're oh, celebrating wow. my son's 12th birthday on the 15th of April and I turn, I hate to say it, but 47 on the 24th of April. So there's a lot of things happen in April and it's great that it all revolves around the turkey season as well.
0: Well, there you go. Now, I'm going to I assume your son turkey hunts with you.
1: He does, yeah, he, he does, and he's actually uh, killed his first gobbler already, and we're anxiously awaiting. We've had our youth season, but unfortunately Daddy was uh, traveling at the time, so we're going to have to uh, get after it during uh, the regular season, which won't be much of a big deal. We'll we'll make something happen.
2: There you go.
0: That's right. How about your wife? Does she turkey hunt?
1: She is a turkey hunting fanatic. Uh, she's actually awesome. killed birds on her own. She's a good caller, probably one of the best turkey hunters I've ever sat in the woods with, simply because she has so much patience. And, and of course, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to brag. She had a good teacher, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a minute. You didn't teach her the patience part, did you? You taught her the trying the patience part. Yeah, well, you
1: know, we won't get into that too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. That's not what the show's about. That's not what the show's about, is it? Well. Tell us a little bit about you and how and when you got into turkey hunting.
1: Well, I have been turkey hunting now for about 35 years, and I started turkey hunting when I was just a little tight. I believe I set foot in the turkey woods the first time ever in 1979, which is actually our first fall turkey season in in Missouri. So I I started hunting fall turkeys before I started hunting spring turkeys. And from there, uh, that particular fall, I heard a ton of turkeys yelping and gobbling and clucking and purring and kiki. And the whole gamut, and I kind of just fell in love with the fact they had their own little vocabulary, if you will. And, and I thought, you know, if you got good at calling, a guy could be real successful at, at hunting. And I uh, just kind of took it from there, and I've been very blessed to just be in this business and board for, you know, a long time. And from there, I started calling in competition, I actually started competition calling in 1983, won my first one as a junior. And then was on able to go on and win 11 Grand National Championships and 10 World Championships and several U.S. Opens and things like that. And I've had a wonderful career and since then. Retired from calling and, and work all the time now.
0: You have been around the block a little bit in the calling circle, yes, or
1: circuit, I, I should say. Yes, I have. It's been a fun ride. You know, and, and to watch a lot of these young guys come up and to know that you've helped them and inspired them and uh, given them some, some goals and some things to reach, it's a it's a pretty neat thing. I mean, it's nothing like golf or football or basketball or anything like that, but, uh, you know, in its own right in the hunting world, it's a, it's a pretty neat deal.
0: Well, I tell you, from being in Nashville at the NWTF convention and watching the Grand National Calling competition i was just blown away at the quality of the calling and close your eyes there and you listen to all the guys calling and i mean you literally can put yourself in the woods in front of a flock of turkeys
1: well and that's the goal you know my whole thing is is when i'm judging a contest and when i was even calling and i would record myself and play it back i was really big on that and i would have a, a uh, camera set up with a Sennheiser mic and call, you know, a couple of feet from it so that you're getting the actuals. And uh, when you play it back, you want to be able to to close your eyes and, 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 and almost go, you know what? If I heard that in the woods, I'd have to sit down thinking that was a real thing coming to me. And that's yeah. what, that's to me what separates the, the men from the boys, if you will, that, that real, true, and being able to put it together like real turkeys do. You know, there's a lot of fancy calling out there, but uh, turkeys do things a certain way, the rhythms are a certain way, and, and they put things together in a certain way, depending on the, the message that they're trying to convey. And because of that, that you know that that's what calling is all about, and that's what makes you successful in the woods, and that's what I want to hear if I'm I'm judging a contest. And I I was fortunate enough to judge the Grand Nationals this year, and mm-hmm. we had a neat little panel panel scoring thing where we were able to sit out there. And none of us watched the callers call. We all kind of had our d- head down, but we were in the wide open, so they were able to see us. We were able to see them, and a lot of people think ill of that a little bit, but to me it put the integrity back into it because. The audience is watching you. You're watching the caller. There's no way that you can you can fib what you just heard because you're actually right. giving feedback. And if you give poor feedback, obviously the audience is going to disagree with you. So, kind of a American idol voice type. Of- Type calling, and I kind of liked it. In fact, I wish they'd have had that back in my day, but I'm certainly not going to get back into it for it. I'll promise you that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, and as if my input matters at all, and I've told a couple of people at the NWTF this just because they asked my opinion, I loved the new format. I thought it was awesome because it's not all top secret. You know, the judges are not hidden from you and you get to hear feedback immediately after a call or I should say after a caller calls. And so for me being I'm going to put myself in the below average caller category because I'm not great by any means. I kill turkeys and I don't think you necessarily have to be a grand national champion to kill turkeys. Well, there's no necessarily to it. You don't have to be a grand national champion to kill turkeys. But for me being what I consider to be a below average caller, being able to listen to the best in the world, give feedback to the best in the world about their calling. And when you hear that feedback, you're able to go, oh, you know what? Yeah, he's right. I did hear that. I didn't catch it when it happened. I didn't notice it when it, when he made that you know when his, when his tree yelps were a little bit too close together. But yeah, that makes sense. I, I completely understand that. And so just to be able to to know what it is that makes a an above average caller an excellent caller and what can make that average caller an excellent caller and know what it is that the best in the world is looking for i thought it was just very entertaining and very eye-opening and i really like that format i hope the nwtf keeps that up
1: oh i think that i think you're going to see that happen i think that there's maybe even raise the bar a little bit higher you know and do a few things even more so uh, and i think if anyone's attended that contest in the past i remember when i was winning things a lot it was big you know there were standing room only two three thousand people maybe even more the auditorium this year was the standing room only uh, again for the first time in several years and, and i think that speaks volumes for you know how the contest was set up and the uh, the way it was put together And uh, i believe that you will see that if we continue going down this road it's just going to grow and grow and grow which is it's, it's good for the callers and it's definitely good for the sport turkey hunting has been a sport where we brought in a lot of new young hunters over the years. And if you look at the uh, statistics, things have fallen off a little bit. And I think we need to do more and more things to just up the excitement of turkey hunting and and get more and more people involved again, like we did back in the, you know, the late 80s, the early to mid 90s, when it was kind of hitting its peak, if you will. Uh, And and I think we can do that again by, you know, the promotions that we do with, with the calling aspect of it. And it's not just, you know, as you said earlier you don't have to be a world champion caller to kill turkeys it's real obvious but i think that as hunting progresses and calling pressure progresses on these turkeys, being more proficient with your calling and more comfortable with it makes you a more adapted hunter, and that makes you more successful if you're if you're comfortable with your calling, you know what you're saying, when to say it, how to say it, and you you can know all the little aspects and nuances to it. It makes you more successful because you're you're out there trying it. you know I find callers that are more timid. They don't want to call, they're scared to call. They tend to not mm-hmm. be as successful because they're not trying new things' they're not they're not stepping outside that boundary and uh, and we want them, but we want them to be successful. that's the goal because if they're successful, they keep going, they keep doing it and they, they keep purchasing products and they keep trying uh, new and, and more improved things and and we get more people involved in the sport. you know if, if you like it and you've got a buddy that likes it and he's got a son, And he introduces his son, his son likes it, and it just progresses from there. And and I think that's that's very key and very important to the future of hunting.
0: That's exactly right. I agree 100%. And that is one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is because when I started turkey hunting and I was learning on my own to turkey hunt without a mentor, what I found is that the experienced hunters were not very helpful in sharing where to find birds, how to call birds, what the best setup is, and on and on and on. So I ended up learning everything the hard way. I'm just stubborn enough to do that. But there's so many people out there who are not, and when they go out and they're not successful, they'll quit. Yeah. And I, I can't blame them. You, know, you go out and you hunt for two or three years, and you don't kill a turkey, and it's frustrating. So you don't go. But that's really why I started the show, was to help people get to that point to where they're – in a situation with a turkey, and they recognize, okay, well, here's what the turkey's doing. So, oh, yeah, I remember. Here's a strategy that I that I learned, and I can go and I can try this. You know, let me get around the turkey and try calling him from a different direction because maybe he's hung up. Mm-hmm. Or let me play the quiet game on him and see what happens. So just those different types of strategies to, that can help seal the deal and, and keep people interested. And that's you're right. I think that that's huge the sport, and that we all really need to be at that point where we're giving back. You know, if if you've killed several turkeys in your lifetime, you need to be focusing on introducing new people to the sport, whether that's kids or experienced hunters who are deer hunters, maybe, or waterfowl and just haven't gotten into turkey. Take them. Oh, absolutely. Teach them how to do
1: it. Yep, yep. So
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about calling turkeys. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. I'm going to name a call that a hen turkey makes. I'd like to have you make the call for us and tell us one or two things that that call might mean to a male turkey in the spring. And I guess really the icing on the cake is, can you tell us when we should incorporate that particular call into our hunting situations? So I guess really a better way to say it is, when is the right time to use that particular call?
1: Okay, I'll give it my best shot.
0: All right, let's start with one that you don't have to be an experienced caller to make. You don't have to be a grand national champion to make. It's probably the easiest call to make, and that's the cluck. So can you make a cluck for us and tell us, tell us one or two things that that might mean to a gobbler in the spring?
1: And I'm going to do most all of all these calls on a mouth call simply because it's simple and I'm sitting here and I don't have to shut the phone down or anything. So, Sure, yeah. But a cluck is a single note. It's very simple to do, Whether no matter what call you're using. It's a very, very simple call to do, but it's a very effective call. And you'll hear turkeys do that in succession or single notes or like they'll cluck two times in a row. And most generally what you're seeing, depending on the uh, intensity of the cluck, is it's just a curiosity call or letting another turkey know where they're at. It's a fantastic call. I use it all year long in all my calling a lot of times before I even yelp, I will cluck a little bit just to kind of get the attention of the turkey so that when I start doing the next call, I've got turkeys listening to me. But what I find with a cluck is is turkeys do that all the time, all year long, and it's mainly a curiosity call and a let-another-turkey-know-where-you're-at type call. And I really incorporate it big time as the season progresses and gets later and later and later. When you're hunting high-pressure areas, this is a great call if you get a turkey to gobble at you or you're, you're working a bird off the roost and you look, it looks like he's getting ready to fly down, just giving him that single-note cluck, letting him know you're there, not doing a lot of calling to him, just a really good call that every turkey hunter needs to learn, they need to know it, and they need to not be afraid to incorporate that in and around all their calling because it's it's just something turkeys do all the time.
0: Yeah, the turkeys where I hunt in southwest Alabama at my hunting camp, They, the hens, tend to cluck way more than they yelp. And, you know, I think that's something that's very important for beginner hunters and intermediate hunters to know is that, you know, listen to what's going on around you. Absolutely. And those hens will tell you what kind of calls will work.
1: They'll teach you or how to goblin. call. They'll teach you how to call. They'll teach you how to do the things the right way. If you just pay attention to them. I've always had the old adage is I'd rather hear ten hens yelp and call than I would twenty-five gobblers gobble. Now I'm hunting a gobbler and I like hearing a turkey gobble, but I learn way more listening to an old hen than I do listening to a gobbler.
2: Yeah,
0: they'll tell you what exactly what'll help you call that bird in in your area. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's good on the cluck. Now, I know there's quite a few variations of this, but a Yelp and what about the different types of Yelps and can you make those for us one or two things that that means to a gobbler?
1: Well, and, and there's a multitude of, of different ways turkeys yelp, depending on their mood. You know, turkeys are a lot like people. Depending on their mood is depending on the rhythm of the call, being a little bit fast or a little bit less, or possibly have an intensity of the rasp and emotion into it and or just often quiet. And to me, the yelp is the backbone of turkey calling. All turkeys yelp, gobblers yelp. Mm Ken's yelp, Jake's yelp, Jenny's yelp, every turkey yelps. And this, to me, is the most important call that any turkey hunter can learn is how to yelp and some of the variations. I don't think you need to know every variation because it kind of gets to be pulling hen's teeth, if you will, pardon the pun. Right. But I think that there are definitely three different types of yelp that a hunter needs to know to be really effective, in, in, especially the spring turkey woods. The first one's going to be a tree call, and that's just a little bitty soft yelp that's just kind of a wake-up thing and letting the other turkeys know that you're a hen and you're up there and you're, you're close. All I'm doing is waking up and I'm just getting a little bitty soft call and I'm answering maybe some other turkeys around me, and just letting those turkeys or that gobbler know that I'm a hen and I'm right here and I'm over here sitting in this tree. Um, mm-hmm. The next call will be basically the standard yelp. And I, I call this just the I'm over here, what are you doing kind of yelp. Because if you listen to an old hen out there and she's just plain yelping, You'll hear her start the call, and if you hear the end of the call, it's almost like there's a question mark. It's like she's almost asking a question, like, I'm here, where are you? And the call stops, and I'll try to portray that in my calling. Notice I'm breaking that up. I'm doing some single note stuff. I'm doing some double note stuff. The biggest mistake I think, especially beginning hunters make when they get fairly good at calling, they do a lot of repetitive calling. You'll gobble and they'll yelp, 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 gobble again, yelp, 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 and it's the same thing over and over. However, that can work. It tends to educate the turkey that you're really not real because they're not used to hearing a, a hen do the same thing over and over again, and you're really not conveying a message. So learn to break that calling up. I think it's real critical. The next one, in my opinion, in the spring of the year. there's several things we can do in the fall of the year, but in the spring of the year is a lost yelp. A lot of people don't think about a lost yelp, but oftentimes in the spring of the year, especially as the season progresses, a lot of your mature hens are already on the nest. And Mm -hmm. so you've got some Jenny hens or some younger hens that are out there. And they've been in and around other turkeys a lot, and all of a sudden they find themselves by themselves, and they want, they want company, so they'll lost yelp. And all that is is kind of stringing out some yelps in a progressive manner to attract the attention of another turkey, whether it be another hen or a gobbler. And I've had gobblers gobble and come to that, and or hens, other hens come to that and bring gobblers with them by doing it, especially when I'm set up in a place where I'm not hearing much gobbling, but there's some sign around and the turkeys aren't doing much gobbling. There's not much going on. And I'm doing what they call blind calling. I'm just kind of trying to get a bird to come into that area that I haven't heard. I'm just setting up on where I know turkeys have frequented Nauseans' time. Right. It almost reminds you of a assembly yelp, but it's not quite as, in, as intense as an assembly yelp would be in the fall of the year. But those three particular types of yelps are yelps that I will use pretty frequently when I'm spring turkey hunting with
2: success.
0: Yeah, and the tree yelp, you're going to use that early morning when the birds are still on the roost and you're, you're set up fairly close to that gobbler. Mm-hmm. And again, just what you said, hey, I'm over here and you know, let's hook up kind of thing.
1: And I'll soften my calls up a lot when I'm calling the turkeys, too, and a lot of people would 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 think that I'm just tree-yelping, but I'm not. I'm just soft-yelping, just real soft, kind of under the breath, like I'm just barely communicating. especially if I've got, like, some hens that come up close and, and maybe the gobblers are still out there. I'm just trying to keep those, those hens kind of at bay, if you will, and relaxed. You know, I may call a little real soft under my breath and cluck and purr and just do some things to kind of keep them hanging around so maybe that gobbler comes on in. And and I I think one thing we need to understand about turkey calling is, as easy as it can seem to sound as we do explanations like this, most of this is a learned thing. You take this little bit of knowledge and you put it in your hair-covered computer, then you go out there and you apply it and realize that, as well as all of it, applies to most situations. Only very little bit of it applies to most situations, if you will. I mean, it's kind of a catch-22. Certain things work all the time. Not everything works all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that I want the listeners to pick up on, and the good thing about a podcast is they can go back and they can replay it, but pick up on even within the succession of Yelps that Chris did on that lost Yelp that there is emotion and feeling within that succession. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the same length of Yelp for each succession. You know, the the Yelps have a little bit different length and a little bit different volume going through that. And I think that just makes the, the calling so much more realistic and get a lot more response out of those gobblers. And that was one of the things a buddy of mine taught me probably I don't know, twelve or thirteen years ago when he is a very good turkey caller and he's got it seems like to use the term that Kramer on Seinfeld used, he's got the Kavorka. <laughs> with the gobblers and he can make a turkey gobble with his call. You know, I can go through, or at the time could go through my succession of calls and nothing and he could get his call and hit three notes of Yelp and a turkey would cut him off. So I'm like, what is the difference in what I'm doing and what you're doing? And he said, your calling is the same from start to finish. You've got no emotion in it whatsoever. And he said, Try this instead and he did it a little bit exaggerated. Of course that's not when we that's not when we had the gobbler gobbling. Mm-hmm. This is afterwards. But he did it a little bit exaggerated at first just to prove to me and he would take his slate call and go, Yow, 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 yow and say, just listen to that difference mm-hmm. and make it a little bit more subtle and little things like that are what will set that gobbler off and make him gobble. You know, it'd be no different for us guys than have a girl call you on the phone and say, hey, you're so sexy. You know, I'd like to go out with you sometime and I think we could have a really good time. Or you What's have a girl that calls you and says, you are so sexy. I would I would love to go out with you sometime. Oh, my gosh. what? When can we go?
1: Yeah, it makes it be a lot
0: more excited. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that's, 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 that's the emotion that you, the emotion you portray creates the emotion you get back in return.
0: That's exactly right. Very, very nicely said. All right. Awesome job on the Yelps. Has anybody ever told you you're a pretty good turkey caller?
1: Well, I've been lucky a few times. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about a cackle.
1: Okay. Cackle is a call I don't use a lot. In, in, in turkey hunting. However, it does have its place. Uh, obviously it's a call on competition we have to do practically every time we get up on stage. So yep. but in in, in call in hunting turkeys I don't use it a lot. The only reason I don't use it a lot is because there's not much need for it when you're if you're not dealing with hens with a gobbler. Um, the times that I use it is if I am working a gobbler that I know has hens with him, especially off the roost, and he's roosted right there next to those hens and I'm trying to be that that first hen on the ground, and I'm trying to be that hen that's portraying the most excitement and the most emotion. But a cackle is basically a succession of clucks little more excited so the pitch and tonal qualities are slightly higher and you'll notice that it starts off with a faster pitch and kind of ends as she flies and sails out and lands but the times to use that is when you're working a gobbler with hens off the roost and you're trying to be that first turkey on the ground and creating the most excitement that's when i find that i i have the most success using this call and she'll start off doing some soft putts and some soft clucks on the limb and soft calls, and all of a sudden she'll just explode. And it's almost a controlled crash, if you will. And and when and I'm I'm thinking that they 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 cackle a lot coming out of the trees because they're not real sure whether they're going to make it to the ground safely or not. That that's just kind of the way <laughs> I look at it. Because my goodness gracious, they get all worked up. But. do all kinds of things sometimes it's a little longer sometimes it's a little shorter i've heard them hit two or three sharp clucks and fly down it all depends on the emotion of the hen but generally when they're cackling their emotions at really a peak and they're coming off that limb and uh, oftentimes you'll hear them hit the ground and they'll start cutting and yelping and going into it and just just absolutely call. Their, their heads off and in, in my opinion that's that's fun to listen to that's that's what it's all about right there is being able to hear that and learn from that and then go back and practice and apply it the next time you hunt when you find yourself in that situation
0: okay so then the next call i have for you is one that you just mentioned mm-hmm. and one that i think a lot of people confuse for the cackle
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's mm-hmm. the cut mm-hmm. so tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that call and what it means and how we should use it when we're calling or when we're hunting
1: Cutting, cutting is uh, when a hen's at her peak of excitement, and I've seen them cut all the way to a gobbler, basically announcing their dominance as they're going to that gobbler over any hen that may be in the area, and I've also seen hens cut, and more often or not, see them cut to another hen in order to show dominance, and that kind of, when you have a conversation with a hen, you'll see that That's kind of what happens a lot of times is you'll start calling and she'll start cutting and you'll start calling aggressive back to her and she starts doing that coming to you because she's showing her aggression towards you. And that's where you see it most, more often than not. And I use this call... One, obviously to make a turkey gobble because he likes to gobble at it. Two, if I have a turkey that's just out of sight, hung up, but I know he's close to in range and I don't know exactly where he's at, a lot of times I'll hit him with some short quick cuts to make him gobble, kind of a shot gobble, if you will, and give his location away. And I'll use it to juice a turkey up, to get him really cranked up, and then I'll shut the calling off to him to make him think about what was going on. Now, one thing to remember with cutting is if you're calling and cutting to a hen and she basically stops calling to you, then you need to shut your calling off because you probably disinterested her and she's going to walk the gobbler away from you. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: another thing is if if you're doing it over and over and over again, you'll tend to shut the gobbler down. He'll he'll quit gobbling at it because it's not doing anything for him. And if you're that excited as a hen, you're going to go to him anyway simply because that's the way... It happens in the wild. Hens go to the gobbler most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give it what I call TikTok cutting because this is what you hear hens do most of the time. And all of a sudden, you'll call to her and she'll hit a peak and she'll hit three or four or five fast notes and then she'll come back down. And this is the way that I feel we should particularly try to cut to a turkey. will hear hens do 99% of the time. They can get faster than that, and they'll get a little slower than that, but that is about the average of most of the hen cutting that you'll hear.
0: All right, and again, the good thing is if you're confused about which is which, the cut or the cackle, you can go back and replay that and listen, but there is a distinct difference, and you probably want to be careful using a cackle at 11 o'clock in the morning.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: You're going to have a hard time selling that gobbler that you just flew down. So that's something to really listen to. All right. One of my favorite calls, I think it just is the sexiest sounding call, is the purr.
1: Well, you know, and it's
0: not really sexy for a turkey, but it's sexy for me.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. You know, I've never interviewed a turkey to know whether he thinks it's sexy or not. Most of them I have a conversation with are hanging by their feet with their,
2: in not the best
1: position. So there's not a lot of conversation there, but. The one thing that, that I want the listening audience to understand is we always say, well, turkeys, it's very, very silent. They're, they're not calling at all. I don't believe there's ever a point in time when a hen turkey's not calling. There's Sometimes they're calling so low and under the breath that you really can't hear it unless you're 10 yards from it. And these little soft clucks and purrs that... You know, when you hear it over this this podcast, it's going to be much louder. But if you were in the woods with me, I can do it quiet enough that if you're not sitting basically next next to me, you can't really hear it. And turkeys do this a lot. And I think purring is a call that is a contentment-type call without question. You hear them do it a lot when they're feeding and scratching. It's a call that is subtle and it keeps the situation calm. Mm -hmm. And it's oftentimes that call when that turkey's hung up, let's say, 70 or 80 yards, especially just out of sight, and he doesn't necessarily know exactly where that hen is. You can start that soft plucking and purring, and if you can get by with a little movement scratching the leaves and you put that scenario together, it's that convincer that says, well, she's moved off another 60 yards. I better come another 30 yards to check and find out where she's at. That puts the turkey in gun range, and the deal is closed at that point. And I think it's a call that... Although it's difficult to learn on a mouth call, it can be done on a multitude of calls, and a friction call especially is phenomenal. I a little slate call. You learn to yeah. set that slate call down by your side or up on your leg and run that thing with one hand. You can be just as effective with it as you can with a mouth call. <clears throat> but I'm going to do it with a mouth call here, and I'm going to throw in some little soft cluck stuff with it just to make it sound real. You get a gobbler hung up out there 70, 80 yards away, and that right there oftentimes can be the deal closer. He just can't handle it. He's going to have to come in there and check the situation out, and the end is either you go home with him or you throw an air ball up.
0: Yeah, well, I think that call right there is probably going to get me in a lot of trouble because it's against the law to hunt with an electronic caller <laughs> or use electronic means to call in a wild turkey in the state of Alabama, but that. Per that sequence of calls that you just did, I can't tell you how many hands I've heard almost 100% sound just like that.
1: Well, that's from a lot of practice, my friend. Uh, Andy, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I'm pushing 50 years old pretty strong, and I've been running a turkey call since I was about eight. And if I had a dollar for every hour I practiced, uh, or I, practiced I would probably not be worried about work for a living.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well,
0: yeah.
1: I'd be somewhere hunting turkeys in an exotic place. <laughs> but you, know,
0: you mean you're not just pulling your calls out of your vest and out of your turkey stuff, out of your turkey gear a week before season and throwing them in your mouth and practicing?
1: No. Oh, and i tell you what, that's the really? biggest thing that I tell people in seminars and shows <laughs> is a turkey call is a, is a acoustical instrument, mm-hmm. it, it, and it truly is. And I'm learning to play the guitar, and I'm struggling at that, believe it or not. One of it is because I don't take the time to practice. I don't take yeah. the time to really work at it. And you're only as good as the time you put into it. And I'll give this for a quick synopsis for people to think about. I drive a lot, I'm on the road a lot, so, you know, me putting on thirty five, forty thousand 40,000 miles a year is pretty common. I listen to the radio a lot, I love music. Well, you play the same song over and over and over again for two or three months, and you know it verbatim. Now, you may not be able to sing it as well as the singer can or know every little note and everything, but, you you know, you kind of know where things are. Shut your radio off and do not listen to that song even if it comes on for the next three or four months and then put on again and try to really have a memory of it. And it's very difficult. And that's what happens with these turkey calls. We don't remember how we ran them, and yet we pick them up, as you said, two weeks before the season, and we expect to be comfortable. We expect to have all of our rhythms down. We expect to know what turkeys sound like. And the difference between someone like myself and and most hunters is I live and breathe it 24-7 all year long. Now, does that mean I'm always going to be successful when I go to the woods? No, that's a big lie. No one is. But I'm probably 95% more successful in most situations than most people simply because I'm more comfortable and in tune with my calling and I've had the experience and therefore I know how to apply it. And I'm not afraid to do it when I need to do it. And that is where most callers need to be. They need to be comfortable with that calling so they can apply it when they need to apply it and know that when they do it, they're hitting correct notes and they're calling with the best ability that they have. It doesn't need to be perfect, but they need to be comfortable with it. And most people aren't comfortable with it. And you only get comfortable with it when you practice
0: Yep, need to practice at all different volume levels. Absolutely, because
1: turkeys call at all different volumes depending yeah. on the situation that they're in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a call that I don't use in the spring, and I don't turkey hunt in the fall, not because I'm too good, but there's just very limited opportunity to turkey hunt in the fall in the state of Alabama. Sure. But it's the kiki,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I've heard turkeys kiki a whole lot in the fall and winter, when I am deer hunting, mm-hmm. and up until about two weeks ago, I had never heard a turkey kiki in the spring. I was walking and calling. It was one afternoon, walking and calling, and I called, and I heard a hen yelp back at me. Well, I duck over into the into the bushes, and I sit there. I call, and she comes up, and she's walking around, and she's kikiing, and that's the first time I've ever heard a hen kiki in the spring. But tell me a situation or two or three where you would use that call in the spring woods that might help you harvest a gobbler.
1: Well, and you don't—I'll agree with you—you you don't hear a lot of kiki in in the spring, especially out of eastern turkeys. Um, you'll hear quite a bit of kiki in in the spring out of Merriam turkeys. You know your western turkeys, northwestern turkeys, mm-hmm. and or you'll hear uh, a little bit of it out of your your uh, Rio Grande turkeys. And I don't know what you know biological reason it is for them to to do that more than our eastern turkeys um, it may be terrain it may be i feel like merriam's and rio's have a higher pitch to their calling all the way around yeah. and yeah. and therefore i think that has something to do with uh, obviously the way god made them because of the the open environment that they live in they need that higher pitch for the sound to carry to to reach each other mm-hmm. and maybe that's the reason why they kiki a little bit more i don't know but As an eastern turkey hunter, the times that I use a kiki are particularly times when I find, especially if you have a spring that hits really late, so that could be a little bit of this year if you were hunting in the early spring, especially in your very early part of the season there in Alabama when... You know, you didn't have any foliage, Uh, and I've been to Alabama a couple times hunting now, and and you're just now getting some foliage in the northern part, and the southern part's looking pretty good, but you're still possibly two weeks behind on the way your foliage is looking. And and I know here in Missouri, we're we're two weeks behind, or at least a week and a half behind. And, And I find these early springs, oftentimes you'll find these turkeys bunched up more. Mm. And and so you're finding kind of these mixed flocks. And when I'm finding these mixed flocks, I kind of put together a, a scenario that involves keys, some jake yelping, maybe some gobbler yelping, some things that are more in tune with the fall hunting than the spring hunting, simply because you catch these turkeys a little more in that fall mode because of the weather patterns. And that's when I will use the kiki. And or if I've got an old gobbler that's got four, five, or six hens around him, oftentimes I'll throw in some kikis. To act like maybe a lost Jenny hen, and oftentimes that will attract the attention of one of those hens, and for some reason the rest will follow, and they'll drag that gobbler up there. It's something to always keep in your little bag of tricks because you never know what's going to work. You just never know. And a key key is just a, it's kind of a whistle here it's kind of the high note of the yelp if you will and then you're putting a succession and remember this is a pleading call this is a bird's lost you'll want some emotion in there sometimes you'll yelp behind it a little bit but uh, in general this is uh-huh. kind of what I'll do. <clears throat> to act like a multiple of birds there that are kind of lost and kind of wanting some company, and oftentimes that'll attract attention, and you'll call the whole flock in and get your opportunity.
0: Yeah. Now, something that I think a lot of people struggle with when they're starting out, and heck, I struggle with it from time to time as well, too. How do you know if you're calling too much or too little? You know, people say, well, take the gobbler's temperature, let the gobbler tell you what to do. What exactly does that mean, and kind of how do you know when you're in the woods if you're how much to call when to call and so on and so forth
1: well you know that that's a, a lot of things that we do is a learned deal i mean it's not something that you you just know immediately in your in your turkey hunting career if you're a first time hunter you you go in succession you kind of figure it out but the one thing that i always tell people to start off with is when you say taking their temperature I call it reading the gobble. Turkeys react to a call in a couple of different ways. And you'll either have a turkey cut you when you, get, when you call to him, meaning as soon as you hit that call, the first couple of notes that come out, they're gobbling at you immediately. This means that that turkey wants to be around you. He, he hears you, and he's excited about hearing your call. And most of the time, not always, but most of the time, you're probably going to call that turkey in he's going to come to that call. Now, mm-hmm. you will find in that situation that there may be one particular call that he does that with and nothing else you do, he, he, he answers because there's a certain pitch tone and volume and the way you put it together that he likes. And when you do that, remember that so that you can you know keep hitting him with something similar to that. Right. Then there's another situation where you'll call and you'll get that little pause, whether it be a second or two or or three that then he answers you. And when I find that happening, what what I think in my mind, and what is generally going on is, one, that turkey's probably standing there looking at hens. So... He hears you. He acknowledges that he hears you. But he's Mm -hmm. basically saying, hey, girl, you know, you want to come to the party. It's over here, and I'm over here, but I'm really not interested in being with you. That doesn't mean in two hours when some of the hens trickle away and he looks around, he finds himself alone, he doesn't come over there to check you out. But at that present moment in time, you're probably not going to do much with that turkey. And or he's set up on a strut zone where he's a three- or four- or five-year-old turkey, and he's been meeting hens there every day for the last three weeks or two weeks, and he just knows how the game's played, and he just doesn't want to come to that call. He's going to wait for you to come to him because that's what happens in nature anyway. Those are the mm. two situations I find myself in when I say taking the turkey temperature. Now, some turkeys like to be called to, meaning that if you call to him and he cuts you in his gobble, most of the time, I'm probably not going to continue to call to him, but just a little bit to kind of keep him enticed and coming. And that normally, is the, normally works. You'll find other turkeys that are, I call, needy turkeys. They want to be talked to all the time that you have to kind of prod along and keep calling to to keep their interest level up and keep them coming.
2: There's others
1: that you need to shut up on, and, and they will let you know that. Because oftentimes when a turkey gobbles and cuts you and he stands his ground, and gobbles on his own, he needs yeah. to probably hear from you some more. Another turkey that you call to and he cuts you, and a minute and a half or two minutes later you don't call back and he gobbles on his own and he's 70 yards closer, you just need to get the gun on your shoulder, make a little soft calls, and be ready because he's going to be in your lap pretty quick. Yeah. And that's kind of a general common denominator. Nothing in the turkey woods is set in stone until you've got him by his feet and you're walking out with him.
0: Yeah, there's no second guessing at that point, is there? No,
1: no, there's pretty much you know exactly what's going on. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so I want to give you three different situations and let you kind of walk us through your call setup that you would use in those situations. One of them is an early morning calling setup where you've got a turkey that's gobbling on the roost. Early morning, let's say he's got a few hens with him. Okay. What are you going to do at that point?
1: The biggest mistake that most hunters make is not getting close enough to him to set up. If Bingo. I'm able to get close enough to him, I'm going to set up closer than most people would think. I would like to be well under 100 yards, 60, 70 yards if possible. Mm-hmm. This eliminates a lot of factors here. Eliminates the hens getting to him too quick. It puts me in a position that if I make a few light calls, he might pitch down to me. Uh, there's just a lot of good things can happen when you're setting that close. And if he does get down he gets with the hens and they start getting away, most of the time when you're that close, you can get a visual and you can kind of figure out what they're doing and how to use the topography in your vantage to get around and get in front of them and put yourself in position. And so you've got a lot of great scenarios there. When a gobbler has hens with him, I'm still going to start a conversation off really light. And I am want to let the hens predict how I call that turkey, okay. not how he reacts. Because you know what's going to happen as soon as he gets his first visual. And if those hens are very vocal, I'm going to be vocal right back with them. This is where I'm going to come in doing some harder yelping on the limb. I'm going to probably cut a little bit on the limb. I'm going to use my fly-down cackle. I'm going to do things to really get those hens pumped up to a fever level that one of those hens wants to come off that limb and come over there to me and kick my hiney and hopefully drag the whole bunch over there. That's going to be my goal. If the hens are not very vocal and they're very soft and subtle with their calling back to me, I'm going to be the same way. And I'm probably not going to call a lot to them, period, at this point. Let them know where I'm at and let them fly down before I do much of anything, simply because I don't want them to pitch a totally away from me and take the whole flock of birds away from me before I ever get into the game. And those are the two yeah. best-case scenarios that I, I would use when working a, a gobbler off the roost with hens. Now, once they get on the ground, you can kind of take their temperature at that point and see if they'll pick up the volume or pick up the pace a little bit. And oftentimes, you'll get that gobbler to just... If he's been roosting around them for a few days and nothing's going on, oftentimes he'll he'll just leave them and come to you because he thinks you're the hen that's it. So there's no ever set in stone, but that's the general rule of thumb that I use. If they're giving me much, I'll go with it and I'll give them a lot back. If they're not giving me much, I'm going to back off and, and kind of be more soft and subtle and see if I can take the, the nice approach about it and see if I can make something happen.
0: Yeah. Now, that's with hens. When you find a gobbler... Early season or late season, I don't guess it really matters much, but when you find a gobbler that's by himself on the roost there's no hens around, are you going to tree call to him and get him going that way, or are you going to let him fly down and then try to call him in at that point?
1: I'm going to just give him enough to let him know that I'm there, and typically okay. when he's by himself, he'll probably acknowledge you. You know, whether it be a little soft tree call or a little cluck or two, and just let him know I'm there. And once he acknowledges me, I will typically shut up and not do anything until his feet hit the ground. Because oftentimes he'll stand up there and gobble and gobble and gobble and stay on the limb and want that hen to come to him where he can get a visual before he flies down. And that's a big mistake a lot of hunters make because they keep calling to that turkey on the limb. He knows how the game plays and let him get on the ground, and then when he gets on the ground, I may hit him with a couple of soft cuts, not real loud, but a couple of quick cuts and some yelping with a little bit of pizzazz to it to kind of get his attention sparked. And if he's responding and answering, I'm probably not going to do much unless he's one of those needy turkeys that just requires me to call to him. But more often than not, especially as the season progresses, if they're coming, they're coming. You don't need to do a whole
0: lot to it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of your mid-morning midday calling sets that you'll use to locate birds and then to call them in? What are you typically doing there?
1: Well, I'm a guy that has always been of the belief that less is more for the most part. I don't do a lot of running and gunning on my personal properties that I hunt around here because I generally have time to hunt them. And so I don't like to, when you find rule of thumb here is if the turkeys aren't gobbling much and aren't doing much, especially after they fly down and it's a midday hunt, I don't want to walk and call an area to the point where I use a fishing term, sore lip the turkeys, because you could call in several birds that never make a sound, and they run in there, they see you and run off, you don't even know you've done it, and therefore they're tougher to deal with, you know, the following day. So when turkeys are not vocal in the midday, I'll find myself going to known areas where they're known to strut, where they're known to frequent, and I will set up and spend a couple hours in those areas at a time, just kind of blind calling, starting off calling soft, give it 15, 20, 30 minutes. I'll call again with a little bit more progression, a little bit harder sounds, and just keep doing mm-hmm. that until I finally end it with a lot of hard calling and, and trying to get something to go ahead and gobble. And oftentimes you'll find an old gobbler sneak in there, spitting and drumming, or just walking in, not making a sound while you're sitting there, coming to your calls, but he's just not making any sounds coming to them. But if I... A lot of times, you know, we, we have to hunt three-day intervals trying to film and, and, and make TV shows. And so I yeah. find myself hunting places that, one, I may not come back to, and two, I just don't have time to, to be that patient so I will go and about every couple hundred yards I will use a locator call to start with and then I will switch over to a turkey call and cut and yelp depending on what the weather's like what kinda call I use to try to make a turkey gobble and I always try to put myself in a position where if I do I can immediately sit down try to get by a tree or have some cover handy where you're not cut with your pants down so to speak I love at this time to use a tube type call because for some reason, I tend to make turkeys gobble better with a tube call when I'm locating them using a turkey call than any turkey-type call I use. It's just got a pitch, a tone, it's got a volume to it, and really, and true, it's something turkeys don't hear a lot of. And, and if guys would learn yeah. to use a tube call, I'll promise you they'll find themselves killing turkeys that other people aren't killing. It's just yeah. a call that, when it's right, it is the most one of the most realistic-sounding calls I have ever heard. And those, yeah. That's kind of the, the, the scenarios that I use. I, I'm not a, a big run and gunner. I have to do it, and I do it, and I, I'm successful with it. But I would prefer not to do it, especially when turkeys are not real vocal, because you just find yourself messing the place up more and more and more, especially small tracts of land.
0: And Personally, I like to kind of describe myself as a stop, look, and listen type of hunter instead of a run and gunner. I'm hunting turkeys. Mm-hmm. And if you're just Running from one spot to another, calling for five minutes and running and calling and running and calling, you're not hunting.
1: No, you're trying to find that turkey that'll answer you and come to you and commit suicide. Yeah, that's
0: that's what you're trying to do. I have killed way more turkeys, taking my time, walking slowly using my binoculars to glass around a curve in the road, you know, and I'll poke my head. I'll get right up against the edge of the woods, edge of the road, and then I'll just slowly poke my head around that curve. Just, you know, imagine looking around a corner yep. in a room. Yep. or
1: for overkill or whatever the case yep. may be. Yep.
0: And I have killed way more turkeys doing that than I ever have walking around through the woods at 10 o'clock in the morning, slapping on a call and getting one to respond to me Yep.
1: you know there's a time when that's successful because you don't have time to hunt you know and you, you that's have, true you have to you have to go up there and try to find that one turkey that's willing to give it up but more often than not you're messing things up a lot worse than you are uh creating success and, and i prefer to be a little more patient and uh, I, I like you i find myself Taking a lot more turkeys and taking a lot more big long spurred old gobblers by being real patient than I do, uh, you know, pushing the envelope with doing too much calling and not spending very much time in one spot.
0: Yep. All right. The last turkey related question that I have for you is our last scenario, and that is same question but for evening or roost setups. How are you going to call birds in at that point?
1: Well, you know, and this is a this is a situation where I don't want to run and gun, and I certainly don't. I mean, oftentimes turkeys will gobble on their own, and you can go to them in the evening. But I, I, I can't evening hunt in Missouri, but I right. do evening hunt in, in, in Alabama and states that, that allow me, and one of my best states that I love to hunt is Kansas, and we do a lot of evening hunting there after, you know, late afternoon hunting. And you know kind of where the turkeys are roosting. If you hunted very much, you know where the frequent areas turkeys are roched, And what I find myself doing, is just getting somewhere between where I'm pretty sure the turkeys are spending a lot of their day and the roosting area. I'm not going to hunt right at the roost. I don't like doing that. I don't want to... Right. I just don't want to sit underneath that roost and, and, and be dealing with that. I like to be out there where I'm making something happen and and if the turkey does fly up and I don't get enough shot opportunity, I don't want to bump him out of the area. So I prefer to get away from it, you know, whether it be uh, several hundred yards or five hundred yards whatever the case may be. But I find myself doing a lot of blind calling this time of year and I don't mean setting in a blind but or this time of day, but just setting up and setting down and starting off soft and just trying to just let that turkey know that I'm a in and I'm pretty close to where he's been roosting at and I'm looking for company and and I find myself being pretty darn successful and oftentimes I may not kill the turkey there but the bird will gobble five six seven hundred yards away and I know he's not going to roost where I'm at but that gives me the opportunity to get up and move and get closer to him and and get Mm -hmm. on that turkey before he decides to go to roost and I can I can get him you know get him taken if if uh, everything works out and that's kind of the the scenario that I use on that I I don't want to do anything Saying way outside the box during an evening hunt because I just don't want to mess the area up because I'm going to be coming back there in the morning. Right. If I if I'm not successful on that hunt.
0: Yeah, very good advice. I believe.
1: Well, if they're there, well, you can hunt them again. If they're not, you better start somewhere else.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. And I believe you can only spook them a certain number of times before they're somewhere else.
1: I, I agree. And if they're not somewhere else, they got the shut mouth real bad, and it's pretty difficult to shoot something when he's not talking to you. Yeah. Kind of like a nocturnal deer.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. They're hard to kill when you can't hunt at night. That's
1: right. That's yeah. right.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Night and Hail Game Calls these days, and what do you have this new and exciting product-wise well, for the spring season?
1: Night and Hail is in a a, a revamped uh, building mode uh, commitment to just bringing on a bunch of new products and solid advertising and solid growth. Um, we've really stepped up to the plate and started doing some, some wonderful things, uh, doing more advertising and just really you know, pushing the legacy that it is. You know, this call company is 40 years old pioneered by what I consider two grandfathers of turkey hunting that inspired and invented many ways to turkey hunt and calls that kind of revolutionized turkey hunting and so we're going back in that direction we're bringing out for the spring in 2016 some new patented product I can't get too much detail at this point but there will be a lot of detail to be brought out as we go forward and I will I will clue you in on that so you can certainly talk about that but we're, okay. we're pretty excited about this new spring stuff that we're going to bring out in, in 16. it's patented products and I think it's going to revolutionize a lot of a lot of turkey hunting. We're just excited about the new era of Night and Hale and where it's going to go, and, and just getting Harold and David back bald and, and and motivated again. And it's just I'm I'm really excited about what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's two good guys right there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell us how we can get in touch with you if we have questions about any of the calling techniques that you've shared with us.
1: You can email nightingale.com and. They, they will they will actually take the questions, and then they will forward them on to me. And that's the way that we usually do that, just simply because they want to make sure they, they go through and they can see how many questions and, and things are coming in and keep account of that. So just go to com and, and, and they will give you a question, you know a place where you can ask questions, and then it's forwarded on to me automatically, and, and I can take care of that at that point.
0: Fantastic. Chris, I really appreciate your time today and going through some different turkey calls, when we can use those as well as some of the different calling setups that you use and appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. It's been very eye-opening for me and I called it turkey calling 101, but I think there's some 303 <laughs> tips in there.
2: Well, uh, uh,
1: you know, there's a lot of a lot of years of experience and uh, and, and you know, an hour As you know, you've hunted a lot of years yourself, an hour. It just doesn't really, it takes 100 hours to sit down and tell all the stories and scenarios that a man's going to see. And and I'm going to see a whole lot more of them in the next 10 days than I did the year before. And that's what makes hunting exciting.
0: It is. It is. If it was the same old, same old every time we went out, we probably wouldn't go.
1: That's exactly right. You'd be bored to death with it. Although we need, like we spoke earlier today, man needs an easy turkey every now and again. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I like to have one a week.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, I would too, but we can't kill but just two of them here in Missouri, so i got to travel somewhere else to get that job done. <laughs> that's
0: true, that's true. Well, if you find yourself in Alabama and you got a day or two to kill and you just give me a buzz and, and we'll make we'll make it happen here. Absolutely, I would
1: enjoy that. We'll do that. We'll definitely get
0: together. Sounds good. Sounds real good. Chris, thank you so much. I really do appreciate the time. I know everybody's going to grab some great information off the call. And let's do this again sometime in the not too distant future.
1: Absolutely, I look forward to it, Andy. I appreciate All it. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys have enjoyed the interview with Chris as much as I did interviewing him. And I can tell you that I've already integrated some of his calling tips into my calling setups. And I feel like I'm going to have a little bit more success with that information that he shared with us. So I hope that it helps you guys bag a big turkey this season. And when you do, don't forget to take a selfie with the turkey and send that on to me. Pix, PIX at com. Also, you guys know that I have started a new segment of the show called Ask the Turkey Hunter, where you can ask me your questions. If you're getting beat up by a bird and you want some tips or hints on how to hunt that turkey, maybe a few different strategies to try, then shoot me an email, give me your scenario, and I will read your question on the show and give you my two cents worth. The email address is askandy at So this week, Daniel Smith, who hunts in Alabama, has several questions. He said that this year he's not hearing hardly any turkeys gobble and that he's got a bunch of turkeys on his place. He sees them all the time but he's wondering if maybe predators or pressure from dogs or people on his property are shutting the turkeys up. Okay, so we've had this issue come up before with turkeys that are not gobbling, and in my opinion, there are a few reasons why turkeys don't gobble. First and foremost, they don't have a reason to. They have hens with them, and there's no reason to call any more hens. They've got plenty of them. Personally, I think that's what's going on with Daniel's property. Daniel has some ideal turkey habitat. He has sent me pictures of the place. It is absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful hardwood pine mix, plenty of hills and creeks, streams, plenty of fields as well. There's probably not a finer looking place for turkeys than what he's hunting. So not having a reason to gobble is the first reason that turkeys don't gobble. If you've got... 20 to 25 hens on a piece of property, and you've got four or five gobblers on that property, you're going to end up with a dominant gobbler who is going to do the majority of the breeding. The other birds are going to be subordinate birds, and they know that they are going to get their rear end kicked if they gobble, so they don't gobble. The dominant gobbler has all of the hens, and he does not have to gobble. And, you know, I actually had this issue come up on my hunting property several years ago, and it was primarily because we were not killing a lot of birds on the property. On 2,000 acres, we might have killed one or two birds a year. Well, most of the time, the one or two birds that we killed were not the dominant bird. They were subordinate birds that were gobbling and would come in and once we got in there and we started killing four and five birds off of the place a year we noticed that the amount of gobbling actually got better as we were killing more birds so personally that's what i think is going on on daniel's property now another reason that turkeys don't gobble is pressure that's put on them whether that's human pressure or predator pressure whatever that may be but the more pressure we put on turkeys The more pressure our pets put on them, the more pressure our coyotes on our place put on them, and the bobcats and the foxes, the less gobbling those turkeys are going to do. Now Chris Parrish in last week's episode mentioned another couple of reasons why turkeys will not gobble on a place and that is that the turkeys are not there. They're being baited off of you. Now I don't think that's the case for Dan because he's seeing turkeys. So the turkeys are not necessarily being baited off of him. And in addition to that, I don't know how the turkeys could be baited off of him onto a better place than what he's got. With the diversity in habitat that he has, there's no reason why a turkey would ever want to leave his place. Chris also mentioned something that's very interesting as well, and that is that you could have jakes on your property who are ganging up on gobbling turkeys. And personally, I've seen that happen. One year in Florida when I was hunting, there were about four or five gobbling turkeys on the 4,000 acre piece of property that we were hunting. And there was a group of 20 to 25 jakes that were roaming the property. And any time a turkey would start gobbling in response to our calling or in response to hen calling, and we could see these turkeys out in these big cow pastures gobbling no more than 10 to 15 minutes after that turkey would start gobbling, that flock of jakes would show up and they would run the gobbler completely out of the pasture and he would shut up gobbling. So after that happens for a few times, it's really no different than what happens to subordinate birds after they're getting beat up by a dominant bird for a period of time. The subordinate birds quit gobbling. Well, after a dominant bird has beaten up subordinate birds and then a group of subordinate birds i e jakes gang up and start beating up on a dominant gobbler he's going to shut up and he's not going to gobble again i don't think that that's daniel's problem here but that is a common reason why turkeys won't gobble on a place so daniel I think that what you've got going on there is you've got a very large and healthy turkey population, which is wonderful. There are a lot of people who would trade places with you for that. I know a lot of people in Northwest Alabama would trade with you in a heartbeat because they don't have turkeys on their places anymore. The turkeys are gone. But you've got turkeys, you've got a lot of them, and I think what you've got is one or two dominant birds that are doing 90 percent of the breeding, and you've got some subordinate birds around there that have been beaten up so much that they're not gobbling. And now what I want you to do before next season, in between deer season and turkey season, I would like for you to go out into the woods a couple of weekends, a couple of the nicer weekends before turkey season starts, and listen. Go out there and plan to spend three or four hours outside in the woods, just listening to what's going on with the turkeys. I think that what you may hear is that pecking order being established and you probably will hear a fair amount of gobbling going on during that period of time. Again, it's just speculation on my part. I am not a biologist but I think that's what you'll hear if you go out there and you listen and you're gonna hear that establishment of dominance by a gobbler and the hens are going to identify who that gobbler is and then when breeding time rolls around that's who they're going to hook up with, and he's not going to have to gobble anymore from that point. He's going to have all the girls he can handle. So trying to get one of those subordinate birds to gobble might be something that you want to do. Gobbling at them is probably not what you want to do because they think that it's the dominant bird. They know that they're not supposed to be breeding, they're not supposed to be gobbling, and they know for darn sure that they don't want to fight because they've gotten their butt kicked too many times. Now, If you can identify where that dominant bird is and get in there and start gobbling at him, there's a pretty good chance you can call him in that way and kill him, which would open up a lot of opportunities for you from that point going forward. So just something to try during season next year since season is over now for you and something for you to do preseason when you're out doing your scouting. Get out there early in the mornings and listen to what's going on in the woods and see if you can hear that pecking order being established. You've got turkeys on your place so you're at a big advantage over a lot of people. Get out there and enjoy the woods, enjoy the springtime and I wish you a lot of luck next season and I hope this has helped you out some. Again, I'm no biologist, all just my opinion of what is probably going on there. Now, to everyone listening, if you disagree, I would love to hear from you. Shoot me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com. If you have your two cents, your opinion that you would like to add, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear it. Thank you very much for leaving your reviews and putting ratings on iTunes. If you don't mind going over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave me a review as well. That's very helpful, very encouraging. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Subscribing does not cost a dime. And... As soon as a new episode comes out, you'll automatically be notified on your device that there's a new episode. So you will be the envy of all of your friends having listened to the most recent episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast before they do. Next week, I have Jay Scott with us. Now, I've had a Jay Scott on the show before with the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck podcast. But this Jay Scott is actually a hunting outfitter out west in Arizona. And Jay's is going to come on the show, and he is going to talk to us about hunting Gould's turkeys. And the Gould's turkey is found in Mexico and in the very southern part of Arizona, and they are absolutely gorgeous. The Merriam's turkey is pretty. The Gould's turkey is prettier. I know it's hard to imagine but their stark white tips on the tail feathers make this bird absolutely gorgeous. They gobble well. They're fun to hunt. They'll come a mile and a half to a call. And Jay is going to share his excitement and his passion for hunting Gould's turkeys with us next week, which is going to be a lot of fun. So be sure to tune in for that. Oh, yeah. Jay is also the host of the Jay Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing podcast. So if you're looking for a new show to listen to, be sure to listen to that one. I have been listening to it myself. It is a great show. Jay is a great guy. He's very knowledgeable, and I think you're going to like the show next week. That's all I have for you this week. I appreciate you guys tuning in. I know that you have choices, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful and successful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye.